Super Talk Mississippi media production. Have you been seriously injured? Mama Justice is here for you. Our medical team partners with top-notch doctors, surgeons, therapists, and urologists, ensuring a comprehensive recovery journey. If you've been injured, call Mama Justice today. We're here for you. I'm Steve Azar, and I'm on the other side of the microphone, meaning I'm asking the questions this time, and oh, have mercy for the airwaves. I spent 20 years in Music City, wrote and made some hits, traveled the world, and then moved my family back to the birthplace of American music and where the magnolia trees prosper. And now every time I put my feet on Mississippi soil, when I'm off the road, well, I'm at peace. On this show, it's all about hearing the stories straight from the mouths of the friends I've made along the way, their journey to success. Heck, there might be someone on, I don't even know, but you know how us Mississippi types are. We tend to take well to new company. In a Mississippi Minute, all 60 of them. I'm Steve Azar. It's just like that muddy river moving slow. Ain't no worries, it's how life goes. In a Mississippi minute. I don't know what it is about some of my guests playing big-time college football, then becoming a big-time hit songwriter and beyond, but lately it seems to be a Mississippi Minute epidemic. Today's interviewee played at a very high level for the Ole Miss Rebels, then took his competitiveness to Music City, turning his jersey in for a pin. He has written songs with and for so many big stars, including his pal Garth Brooks, who he happens to be currently out on a North American leg of a three-year world tour with Garth and Trisha Yearwood. And when it comes to music and the gene pool he comes from, his whole family has done it all. We'll get to all of that right now. Please welcome hit singer, songwriter, author, playwright, driving down an Indiana highway, Brian Kennedy. What's up, Brian? <laughs> Hey, Steve, how are you? That sounded awesome, man. I want to get to know that guy. <laughs> uh, yeah, well. I don't, that, that, I don't think that can be me, but, but uh, oh, it's you. for having me on. It's you. I, I'm glad we got connected through a mutual friend, our, our boy, uh, Luke. Brian, I'm going to dig in here. Now, so I, I met your brother, Gordon, right? Yeah. Gordon, Shelby, your dad, your mom. Everybody, but I spent time when I first moved to Nashville back in '91. I used to spend Monday nights. I think it was Monday nights uh, every week on the basketball court at Brentwood High, and I got to know Gordon. And I remember when he was—he uh, just got the cut, uh, changed the world, changed the world, right? Oh yeah. And uh, yeah, yeah. And so we'd all celebrate everybody's success. Uh, going after each other, but he was a really good athlete. So your family, first of all, let's backtrack a little bit. As a kid. You were in the business because your dad was in the business running a record label. Actually, the record label that I ended up recording on uh, my, got my first deals on. But but were you writing as a kid? Uh, was it something you were interested in? Uh, is it something you sort of developed uh, and, and later, you know, going into college and after? Or were you always, were you always doing it? I, I think for me, just to be really honest, as a, as a diapered young boy, um, I remember dad bringing home Roger Miller. You know, England Swings and uh, Dang Me and these songs that he was producing on, on Roger Miller. Of course, I was, you know, four or five years old. I didn't have a clue what was going on. You know, it's just, it's just what happened in our house. So, Dad had a jukebox, uh, you know, the old jukebox that played the 45s. And, and he would uh, put 45s in there, songs that he had produced or played on, which, you know, ended up being in the thousands of records. Uh, 
and, and me and my older brother, Gordon, would sit in front of that jukebox and play anything that we could find. It was a pool stick, a hmm. badminton racket, whatever we pretended we were playing the guitar. We would sit and, and you know, hit those numbers and play those songs over and over and over and over again. So I was getting, you know, basically brainwashed, so blessed to be brainwashed by some of the greatest songwriters that, you know, the world's ever known. When I got old enough to know what songwriting was, it intimidated the heck out of me because these songs were so good. You know, songwriting, you know, I've written a lot of songs. It's hard. I don't, I've never found it easy. Right. Um, it was intimidating. So, you know, so I kind of grew up in a neighborhood with a bunch of guys, a bunch of boys, and, and you know, it was tackle the man with the ball. We called it kill the man with a football, but understand you can't say that today because you know, people get upset. But <laughs> yeah, it was another <laughs> another name, him. another name down here. But yeah, you're not. I know. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. So we 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 played that, and and honestly, that was my life. I remember getting my my first football team when I was probably six or seven years old, and then I saw a kid with shoulder pads, and I cried because they weren't mine. Yeah. And it just kind of set me off in a path of. Uh, I wanted to play sports, and so I was getting the music at home daily, like most most kids probably got TV. Uh, you know, our TV was a was a stereo, right? So, uh, and, and Dad's office, so he would bring home these records, Steve, that were um, not fully produced. They might have the drums and the bass and the piano, and that might be it, acoustic guitar. Or I was listening to songwriter demos, which back in that day were reel to reel tapes. And it was always the songwriter and just the guitar. So there was no full production on any song. So it was kind of naked and raw and, and fresh. Right. And, you know, getting back, getting back to your question, it intimidated me. I was like, man, there's no way I could ever write this. You know, Mickey Newberry, Chris Christopherson, and, and these, these songs that I was hearing. So when I got to college, I did, you know, I picked up the guitar about 16 years old and even though my dad, my dad Jerry Kennedy is in the Musicians Hall of Fame as a, as a right. guitar player, they, they, this is a really funny story to me. But so my dad, so they they give him this theater uh, or they dedicate a theater, name it after him in the Musicians Hall of Fame, and they have this induction. He's sitting on the stage, and uh, Joe Chambers said, "So you know, you got these three boys, and and they're all in the house. Did you? Uh, they all play guitar, and they all you know songwriters. Did you? Did you give them lessons?" And and he said, "No." And that was it. That was the answer? <laughs> there, was no, there was no explanation. or, you know, But he did come back and say, you know, and my dad's always believed if you want to do something, you'll find a way to do it. You know, if you want right. to do it bad enough. And I did. I wanted to do it bad enough. So, I, you know, my guitar, 16 years old, was the first guitar that I got. And took it to college. And and you can imagine the University of Mississippi and some of those football players all piling into my dorm room. I would make up songs about the coaches. You know, we would... <laughs> We would, as a group, make up songs, making fun about, you know, this and that. And so that was songwriting to me, one-on-one, yeah. which was really ter- terrible. But, um, you know, I can't really call that songwriting. But that's kind of how it starts to me, which, again, I go back to, I, I was so intimidated that I thought I could never, ever write songs. Okay, so you, you made an interesting point, and I think, I think it's important, because a lot of parents or a lot of, you know, I, I don't know, look. You, when you do something that's extremely difficult to do, that is that there's a there's a narrow window of space that occupies 
uh, the profession and being successful, I think that you have to have it from within. You can't be forced by your parents or by somebody else to take lessons and do this. I feel like the most important thing is you do find your own way because you you have to because you got to be willing to fight for it, right? You do, and it has to be genuine or it means nothing. If it means nothing, you're not going to put anything into it that matters. No, exactly. Okay, so you grew up, You were well, you were born in Louisiana, correct? Born there, but never really lived there. I think my mother uh, went down there to get help with me, and my dad was to meet her before they had me, and he ended up getting stuck on an Elvis Presley session. Imagine wow, that. wow, wow. Well, that's a session, that ain't a bad one to get stuck on. So sort of growing up, <laughs> we're talking to Brian Kennedy. Uh, Brian, growing up and just around it all, at what point? Did it seem surreal, or did it ever feel that way? Because you were just, you know, at a young age, did you ever sort of go, man? I mean, did it ever strike you? No, I, you know, I think it was. You know, I, I kind of grew up around the athletic world too. So when a, I'll give you an example. Mike McIntyre's coach at Colorado University. Mike was George McIntyre's uh, son who went to Vanderbilt. When Mike came to Brentwood Academy. He talked about football like I talked about music. He talked about being a red shirt at, in the seventh grade. You know, he was throwing these slogans around that <laughs> colleges throw around. And for me, growing up in the music family, it was it was just normal. There was no stars. You know, we didn't we didn't look at anybody like you know they're popular or a star. It was just they were people. There was Jerry Reed and there was Ray Stevenson, right? And there was Roger Miller. It was just guys. And so, yeah, well, I, I get it. I get it. I get it. Yeah, I mean, I guess you were just sort of, it was just these people were around you all the time, and that's what they felt like. I remember uh, Pam Springsteen, who used to do my record covers, she was making an, uh, an interesting analogy about her uh, her daughter, Ruby. Um, she said that uh, when Bruce, she, I guess Bruce had taken time off, and she was four or five, six years old, and so she had really never seen him perform or really knew anything about it. And so she walks into a record store one time and she says, uh, you know, Bruce has a new record out and he's going out on a tour and she sees his his lifelike, you know, you know how they have those big billboards you see, Garth, oh, yeah. you know, and, the, you know, they're sitting standing there. And then, of course, his record cover and all that. It's everywhere. And she's looking around like going, what's going on? And so uh, Pam said, hey, go ask the uh, the clerk. You know, uh, who's that? And she, he goes, uh, so she does. And the guy goes, well, that's the boss. And she goes, he's not the boss. That's my uncle Bruce. And he's a farmer. <laughs> he's a farmer. And that, that's a good yeah. way for us to go into the next segment. We're with the great Brian Kennedy. I'm Steve Azar in Mississippi minute. He's rolling down an Indiana highway trying to find Garth. We'll be right back. In the market for new pillows. I'd like to tell you about who I believe strongly is the best pillow manufacturer made right here in the USA, my friends at Beds by Design and their amazing Omni Pillow. The Omni Flow is the foam in the inside. Designed by their veteran team, the Omni Flow is a one of a kind product that is unlike any other material. Omni Pillow has a 100 day return policy. And listen to this they'll donate a pillow to someone in need every time you purchase one. Their goal to give away 1 million pillows. To go to omnipillow.com, that's omnipillow.com, enter promo code Steve Azar and receive 20% off with free shipping. You won't regret it. Thanks, guys.
In a Mississippi Minute with Steve Azar, right here on Super Talk Mississippi. I've never known one better. She's a real go-and-getter. If you met her, you'd be good as gone. I'm Steve Azar. We're in a Mississippi Minute. We're with singer-songwriter, playwright. I want to dig into all this author thing. You've written books and, and thrillers and children books and great hit songs. Uh, and I want to celebrate you and all that that you've accomplished in this Mississippi Minute. Okay, let's keep talking football, though. Did you have other offers besides Ole Miss? What made you decide on the Rebels? I, I actually hated football. Um, and it, it came in a moment when, when when I was younger, I was a tailback, and I was running the ball. You know, that was fun. Right. And then when I got, when I got bigger than everybody else, <laughs> uh, you know, I was told I was no longer – you know, somebody to run the ball or somebody to block. And that didn't sound like fun to me. So I actually tried to quit football three times, Steve, uh, my freshman year in high school. And, and luckily, my, my coach wouldn't let me. And bottom line is, by the time I was a sophomore, I was all mid-state. Junior, I was all-state. Senior, the same. So, so football um, was something that I was getting recruited a lot for. Why I went to the University of Mississippi I really can tell you're 17 or 16 years old and you're trying to make life decisions. And it's a pretty tough, you know, thing to put a kid in that. But I love the school. I love how I felt at the school. I love uh, Steve Sloan. Steve was the coach there. I loved Coach Sloan. I loved Coach David Lee that recruited me. I, I, I felt like I was, uh, I felt like I was uh, more of a person there than I was a football player. Right. Uh, so when I got recruited by, uh, we'll say University of Alabama, that the, the, the recruiter that came just was really, uh, he was correct. He's, you know, if you want to win a bowl game, you want a ring on your finger every year, uh, you know, you come to the university. And he was right. It just, for some reason, it didn't appeal to me. I'm not an awards kind of guy. It's not, I want to win. I mean, I, I want to kick butt and win. Right. But I, I really don't care about self-accolades or rings or trophies. I just never have been a gold. I don't even have a gold record. I don't have a fly. I still have any of this stuff. I just, it's not, it doesn't mean anything to me. I don't say that. That sounds strange, but I hope your listeners understand. It's not that they don't mean anything. I just, it's about, it's about today and tomorrow and other people. It's not about yeah. me. Well, you so, probably grew up with a lot of that in your on your walls. It probably got to look like just just another form of art. But let let's just say you could have all that. You just you, what are they in your closet? Because I know <laughs> you have some. Yeah, you just you skip you, know you skip gold a lot. You're in another color. We're talking to Brian Kennedy. He's in Mississippi Minute, and he's rolling down. Indi- Where are you heading to? What's going on? Tell me what's going I, on today. I'm going. We just we just played or Garth just played Notre Dame. Eighty four thousand people. Uh, two nights ago, and now we're going down to Indianapolis for the FFA convention. I think there's going to be sixty or seventy thousand. Of course, there's going to be sixty or seventy thousand. Hey, listen. So (laughs) So tomorrow night. So you'll know that my dad in 1954 graduated Notre Dame. My brother in '82 graduated Notre Dame. Um, uh, His his roommates uh, both played for the Bears, the '85 team in college and then he's a he's the chief of staff he's he's the smart one chief of staff at campbell's clinic where he studied under andrews and and uh he's been president of orthopedic association of america i mean he's really a great he's a grizzlies orthopedic surgeon so i get my sports thrill uh going to watch him work on these great players at times when he lets me in the building and um but wow. notre dame you know as a as a as a guy that grew up in mississippi and my dad's from greenville and down here and uh and made his way to notre dame somehow and uh, so, obviously, uh, to be around the TV during uh, a family uh, gathering 
uh, was always a tough deal because there's a lot of anger when it wasn't working out. <laughs> so, so you were there this weekend. I met Garth years ago. And this interview isn't about Garth, it's about you. But but I love seeing the friendship that's developed with you guys, and I think it's very interesting. Uh, Garth's known to be a really loyal guy to his friends and his friends back to him and all that. But I met him one time on an elevator. I was writing for Roger Murray at the time, or trying to write. I was a tough time of trying to be creative in the old SunTrust building, if you remember on Music Row. Oh, yeah. And so Roger yeah. was there, and so I got on the elevator. I went upstairs to see uh, to uh, to see one of the guys in the bank, and and. I was there and, and he got on the elevator and he was on like, you know, he was in like a sweatsuit, you know, athletic Adidas suit. And I remember going like, he, he was so nice. You know, he was just so friendly. And I, I remember going, what a good guy. Your description and your experience uh, is 100% spot on for every day I've ever been around this guy. I've never met anybody like Garth. It's true as, you know, I met him back in the 88, you know, before he, just when he came to town, he had no record deal. In fact, we were, I was trying to help him get a record deal, and everybody, you know, saying no. So it was, you know, it was back before, obviously, anybody even knew who he was. And he was the exact same then as he was Saturday night at Notre Dame. Wow. He's the same guy. And the same guy, you know, with you in the elevator, he's, he just, uh, you know, I can never say enough great things about him, and, it, and it's almost uncomfortable. I know it's uncomfortable for him, but it's, you know, you kind of just feel like I'm, that people just are not going to believe you because it's it's just not normal, you know, for somebody. Uh, well, you know, you've been in the business long enough to know that, you know, a guy that sells 10 records might act like he sold $20 million, and Right. Here we have a guy that sold hundreds of millions, and he acts like he's a farmer, you know. He, <laughs> Just a really good dude, and uh, I, I think the best way to describe him is I really think he wakes up every day trying to make somebody else's day. Wow. I, I really think that's, that's the best way I know to describe him. So we got to know each other at the Bluebird. My father was producing Mel McDaniel and Mo Bandy and a couple of other artists, and the Bluebird had an event, which is really cool. They had five publishers, and each publisher put up, one of their writers to, to sing and perform three songs that were not on hold and had never been recorded. So it was a really cool idea. So Dad said, go down there and see if you can find anything from Mel or Mo." So I went in there and, and you know, had the Bluebird so small. It was this guy walking around in a resist-all hat, a regular brush popper shirt and regular jeans and roper boots. Well, back in 88, you couldn't buy any of those things in Nashville. <laughs> you had to get a... You had seriously. I ordered mine from Mo Bandy. He would order them from Texas because that's what I wore. I love and it. And so I think Garth and I had a stare off there for a little while. Like, yeah. You know, wait, wait, wait a minute. You know what's going on here? But anyway, he ended up singing uh, "Tomorrow Never Comes," not counting you. And um, I think which one of them would be you tonight? And I just you know I flipped out and uh, went and talked to Bob Doyle, and you know they they wanted to you know get Garth, my father. And, so we just ended up starting right then. We just we just became friends and started hanging out, and uh, we ended up writing a song, you know, and then we ended up writing a lot. So that's that's how it started. Wow, that's just crazy. I love it. I love how that sort of happens and the plan. You know, you know, most really never in our hands. We work hard, but there's a master plan, and the master plan was for you and Garth to be wearing basically the same clothes and have a stare down. You know, that'd be a pretty intimidating (laughs) stare down to be in between that. I just want you to know that. (laughs) I love it. We're talking. Yeah, go ahead. Go ahead. I'm sorry, Brian. 
I was just saying, it, 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 was, uh, it was a welcoming stare down because it's <laughs> like, you know, hey, he's one of me, you know. I love it. We're talking to Brian Kennedy. Brian, so athletically, obviously, uh, another connection. You think you guys are a lot alike. You're just, just you know, seeing both of you from afar athletically. You know, Garth was a great athlete. Uh, you as well. I mean, you think that that helps sort of uh, make the relationship happen even uh, quicker? Oh, and- hey, oh, yes, sir. Yes, sir. Indeed. Uh, just the, the the attitude of you know you don't quit, and the attitude of you can't hurt me, and the attitude right. of uh, I'm not going to complain. I'm not going to I'm not going to whine. You know, I, I'm going to do it. And if you think I can't watch me, you know, <laughs> those are are big qualities that that um, they pay off big, but they're at a price. You know, when you're young, you you know you got to kind of get beat up to learn those things. And, right. Uh, Guard Guard's a great athlete. I mean, he he is a you know he's a bulldog to start out with. But you know, we've played you know like you, you guys played basketball. We've played miles and miles and miles of basketball. Still do. So, uh, but football, basketball, just really anything you do with him, other than golf, we both suck at golf. Yeah. So. <laughs> Well, we all do now. I, I spend so much time training on golf, and I, I just—I'm going to slip out today. But I got to tell you, man, as I as we get a little older, your distance is uh, well, it just goes away, man. I don't know what happens. I feel like I'm doing the same things, but something's not working out. I, I don't, I don't, I can't figure. Well, it they're out. making the courses. See, they're making the courses longer. Just, just go with that. Yeah, I'm, I appreciate that. There you go. All right, even the one I grew up on, I don't think I think the tee boxes are up and it's not going as far. Hey, hey, Brian. So we're talking to Brian Kennedy. You get to play DJ. Uh, you know, I know you grew up in Music City. You were born in Louisiana, close to us, but Mississippi's the birthplace of American music. You get to play DJ, and I'm going to do it with oh. a little bit of what we're doing, uh, which makes sense. I was just with Paul Overstreet doing a show in Dina Carter, so I'm going to give you a choice between Paul Overstreet or Chris Ledoux. Yeah, Chris, and I love Paul. Uh, and I really I mean, what a heck of a songwriter, but I'm, you know, I'm a cowboy at heart. Yeah. And Chris Ledoux, <laughs> like one of my heroes as a human being, I mean, that, that dude... You want your you want your son. Everybody wants their son to be Crystal Dew. So I'm going wow. Crystal Dew. I love it. We're with, hey. So I I love that and and I get that and I threw Paul under the bus there. I knew what your answer was going to be. Uh, we're with uh, the great, fabulous, on the road with Garth Brooks right now, Trisha Yearwood, and he's taking the time to spend a Mississippi minute. Brian Kennedy, play some Crystal Dew. You ride a black tornado across the western sky. Broke an old blue norther and built it till it's dry. Pulled dog the Mississippi and it's ears down flat. Long before you take this cowboy's hat. News Mississippi, on air, online, and now on the brand new News Mississippi app. You can select the breaking news and weather alerts you want. Just look for News MS in the Apple App Store and on Google Play. That's News MS in the Apple App Store and on Google Play. In a Mississippi Minute with Steve Azar, right here on Super Talk Mississippi. depends on the weather and the clock. I'm Steve Azar, we're in a Mississippi Minute, rolling down an Indiana highway right now with Brian Kennedy. Brian, I want to talk about when the heck 
it happened when you decided to take if you're sitting there saying you're intimidated about writing a song which is three and a half minutes right when did it all work when did you all go i think i want to write something a little longer like a book (laughs) so take me back to the first you know where was the first inspiration and the will to do it it's kind of ironic because uh PBR, Professional Bull Riders, uh, I met a guy named Sean Gleason, and Sean wanted somebody to write, uh, I'm not sure if this was his idea or mine, I can't remember whose idea it was, but it was a, I think it was, I wrote a comic book script where I used the bulls as characters in a comic book. So I made myself write a script, which I had never done before, so I, I you know, I branched out and, you know, kind of studied what that was like and how to do it. And and when I wrote it, and, and Steve, I don't know if you've ever tried to write a book or anything, but all of a sudden it could be more than a page and it didn't have to have meter and it didn't have to rhyme and I had space. And I could say things um, that I wanted these characters to say without a melody. And hmm. and I was like, wow, you know, this is, this is kind of cool. And I could kind of take deep breaths and and uh, develop thoughts rather than have to say it in, in seven or eight words in right. one line of a song. And I really enjoyed it. And from that, it kind of released the, the dogs, if you will, to go, well, if I can do it in a script, uh, what about a book? You know, what about hmm. chapters and what about stories? And, what, and uh, so I just kept going with it. So it, it, it really, but it really ironically came from, an, uh, I guess, another Wranglers and Ropers and Resist All Hat kind of thing. Um, in a, in a comic book that was intended to be the Super Bowls. Yeah, <laughs> I love it. Hey, Brian, so did you have any, did you have to go do a little research, get a little, the training? You know, people go to four years of college for training to be a playwright, uh, to, to be able to write uh, in any form. What, uh, did you do anything, to, any research to, to sort of make your way through it? You know, I'm terrible about that. Um, Truth be known, I, and it's not something I'm, I brag about, but I, I was a really bad student. I was uh, actually a horrible student. I was, I think if, if if the learning disabilities were identified back when I was a young man, I probably, and I'm not being funny, would have had five or six of them, or maybe more. <laughs> um, I never tested well. I never could really see how other people did things. And I still have that issue today. I don't, I don't see things like other people see them. So when it came to doing something like that, I just, I just, uh, I guess I just did it my way. And I never, you know, until somebody else would read it and they would go, well, this is an interesting form of how you've done this. And, and I just didn't think about it. I was just like, well, that just makes sense to me. So I really didn't do any research. I just, uh, I just kind of took off and just kind of did it the way it felt right. I love it. I love, we know there's, you know, I, I say this with a lot of my guests because, you know, a lot of, a lot of times they're, they're writers. Uh, and I think that if you can figure out how you can get your work to the listener, I mean, that's the, the hard part. So if you can actually get it in front yeah. of them and then it's honest, like it really comes from a real place. I mean, the, the reader, the listener, the viewer, man, they get it. They just get it because, they know it's coming from there, and it's it's just a connection that the only thing that gets in between, the, you know, uh, you know, uh, the person that creates it and the listener, um, most of the time is the business and the stuff in between. But you know, Amen. it's it's yeah. it, right. So I think probably you're being so honest 
and and you're just basically doing what you were called to do and i think that that's that's why it's all working out because i guess you can't overthink it you just i think that's what's going on and and i think that's a pretty cool thing we're talking to brian kennedy as i analyze his life right now <laughs> and his success. well i think the, the interesting thing about what you're saying steve you're so correct there comes a time when when you do get in front of people that's the moment of truth they're either going to get up and walk out or or like Jerry Reed used to tell me, he goes, son, they're up on their feet. What more can they say? <laughs> you know, if they get up on their feet and they're clapping, they have no other way to tell you how much they love you other than that. Right. And, and that's the truth. So, you know, when I wrote my first play, we wrote it, practiced it, you know, six, seven months, eight months, a year, practice to get it down. And, and it wasn't until the first performance that I thought, oh, my gosh, what if nobody laughs? <laughs> so the first the, – the first joke's coming. You know, it's funny in my head. Yeah. Yeah. But it really hit me standing backstage. Here it comes. Here it comes. I, I was like, I want to leave. I want to get out of here. Because what if they don't laugh? This is two hours. All right. Where was the debut at? It was in Franklin, Tennessee at the Franklin Country Club, which no longer exists. But yeah, yeah. You used to play golf there. I love it. That's where it was. Yeah. 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 I could see myself driving there right now to play, to tee it up. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Okay, so uh, do you sp- – okay, okay, that was – was that the Lost Dog? No, that was the play Toe Roaster. Okay, okay. So what about Lost – so you so you, you venture in – when did the Lost Dog come? That was um, 2006. Um, this is another interesting story. I'm, I hope I'm not boring your listeners. No, today, no, you got to be kidding gave, me. You're saving me well, is somebody, what you're doing. <laughs> <laughs> well, God bless you. Somebody <laughs> gave me a leather – journal and i'm kind of a freak when it comes to writing materials pencils lead erasers kind of a quirk maybe a whole nother show sometime but somebody gave me this journal and i hold things like that in my hands and i'll i'll sometimes i just sit and i don't know i'm 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 weird so i'm like what is this saying to me and i wrote down a line that said something like she did not know who he was she did not know and and then stuff just started coming out. And so I, I think I wrote the first chapter of that book in that journal. I had no idea what I was writing. I just, hmm. It just started that way. And then I, I thought, well, I better move this to, you know, WordPress and, and copy it. And then um, next thing I know, I've booked four months in Destin, Florida in a condo. And I, I hold myself up in there for four months and wrote, wrote that book. Did you go sort of plan your – so once you got to a point where it looked like it was something that you had to continue, right? So you, you yeah, go – Yeah, I got excited. Yeah, so you go book the four, the four months knowing that that's what you're going to do. Exactly. Yeah. Okay, can I talk about distractions? You have all the places to go. Sure. seemed like you'd have wanted to come down here, down to the Delta and the farmland where, you know, except for the beautiful sunsets. And, and obviously it would be less to do than look at the ocean. I know the river has a powerful thing, man. I live for it, and that's why we moved back. But, you know, you were you went to a place of some serious distraction. Tell me it was like December, January, and February. <laughs> you you nailed it. November, December, January, February. All right. Okay. Uh, and there was no distractions. In fact, in fact I, I was on the 14th floor, and it was near the uh, airport there in Destin, if you know that. Now, every day I thought I was going to get, like, dive-bombed by these planes, so... That was my only distraction, but there was nobody down there back then. 2006 in the wintertime, you know, Destin, it was all, that was just shut down. There was, there was nobody there. We're talking to Brian Kennedy. Brian, uh, what about, how did everything work out for you guys uh, with Hurricane Michael? 
I have mixed emotions because I I feel so blessed, and I, and I I know the Bible says you're blessed one way or the other. You know, be blessed in all things, count all things with joy, and I believe that. But when you when you look thirty miles down the road and you see total devastation, and right. you know, I'd be back to Nashville, and nothing happened to my house there. I mean, nothing. I didn't. Even, we didn't even lose power. Hmm. And two miles down the road, you know, they started losing power. And then 15 miles down the road, there's lots of trees down. And 20 miles starts with destruction, 30 miles devastation. And then Mexico Beach, 50 miles, it's just gone. Man. And uh, it's so bad. I don't think anybody can really tell you how bad. I know Mississippi's had its time on the on the coast with, right. with hurricanes and, and their experience with that. And, uh, you know, just pray for those people. Uh, but I can tell you encouraging things like the human spirit and the, the Calvary has come from all over the United States. Yeah. Um, people are generous. Uh, and I just pray that they don't forget because, you know, after two or three weeks, the news cycle moves on and it's something else, but it's bad. I yeah. mean, it's, you know, I've, I've never had that many friends that I've known in any situation that don't have underwear. They don't have the toothbrush. They, right. you know, it's just, they don't have anything. Well, it was horrible. And I mean, it, just to know, see it. it. Yeah. You know, I remember yeah. we did a, a big charity event. We did it actually at, at Ole Miss uh, for Katrina, and uh, and and obviously in Nashville. And I, I was on the show there, and uh, and I had taken a visit. I didn't make it to to New Orleans, but obviously what we saw. But I took a visit to the Gulf Coast uh, with one of our governors at the time and everything. And I remember going like, I can't believe because the Gulf Coast. I said, what could be worse than this? And it wasn't getting the publicity, I guess. But I mean, you know, casinos were moved across the highway. I mean, it was, and I had so many friends like you're talking about. I felt horrible because, um, obviously I was a long way away, but, but man, I had so many friends who, like you said, they had nothing. It was all gone. And, and, you know, there's, I know it's stuff, but you know, when you tie memories to stuff, there's some of that stuff really matters. And man, you can't get it back. And and water is water is as beautiful and tranquil and relaxing yeah. as it could be. It is a mean son of a gun sometimes. I mean, just outright yeah. mean. So well our prayers are with obviously with them and, and their families and right. you guys and, and you know, right, you're right. The blessings come in in, in different forms and you gotta you gotta take yours when you get them uh we're not on this planet forever so it's uh we that's yeah. that's the right spirit we're with the great brian kennedy i'm steve azar in mississippi minute do not delay contact today you're hba In a Mississippi Minute with Steve Azar, right here on Super Talk Mississippi. I'm Steve Azar. We are with singer-songwriter, author, playwright, the list goes on, life coach, Brian Kennedy. He's making his way down the highway. Uh, uh, Brian, wait a minute. So, does Garth blind do his shows, or what is going on? Why are you Why are you in your vehicle? <laughs> well, I, I put him on a plane uh, Saturday <laughs> night, and, and uh, I could have flown home to Florida, but I have a, a really good buddy that, that works with Garth's Charity called it's, uh, Charity's Teammates for Kids. And uh, it gives me a chance to do a little bit of work with him in between these shows. He lives in Anderson, Indiana, so I was over there doing some work with him, and now I'm driving to, 
Indianapolis for tomorrow night's show. That's wonderful. Tell tell me about uh, tell me about that charity. Teammates for Kids started about um, probably 2000, 2001. Uh, Garth's idea, which you know Garth's uh, just a really genius kind of thinker, but the idea is to take a sport, and it's any sport. We have basketball, football, baseball, hockey. We have NASCAR. We have golf. We have sports that I don't even you know, I don't even know of. But but a player from from that that sport, Steve will will say it's a baseball player, and he says for every home run I hit this year, I'm going to donate 500 bucks or 100 dollars wow. or a thousand or whatever. It is. For every touchdown pass I throw, for every hockey goal I make, for every assist, for every you know goal in soccer, um, it's just really anything and everything that they decide they want to do, and it has been incredible. It's been an incredible charity, and there's no one thing that they give to they have a board and they discuss and it's everything i've seen them do you know a multi-million dollar cancer uh machinery for a hospital to one team's little league uniforms in some small town in wow. kansas or something it's just any and everything so it all matters and um what's these some of these athletes are you know, awesome guys they've been with him from the beginning and it's just a really cool thing Man, I love. I just love that. I mean, you know, you're getting people that obviously are have the ability to give, and a lot of times, you know, life can go by, and and you're in the middle of it, and you're really doing well in any genre of sport or entertainment. Sometimes you got to be reminded, and 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 maybe give them an access to give. <laughs> it sounds like that, that. I mean, what a great idea! That's a great idea. It really is, man. It it makes it makes the athlete you know, like if I do something good, something. Yeah, it works. It's the giving we talk about. It's the love of, you know, I'm doing something that I love, and because I've, I've done something that is quote-unquote good, I've scored a touchdown, I've made a goal, I've, you know, whatever it is, then uh, somebody else is getting something out of it. It's just really wow. an awesome thing. I just love it. We're talking to Brian Kennedy. Brian, what's it like? I mean, do you perform every night? So is it you, then Trisha, then Garth? Is, do, you, do you ever go oh, no, back no, out? no, no, no. No, I used to I used to open the show in '96 and '97, but this last three and a half year tour, and we're getting ready to start another three. This three, the next three is is the big stadium tour, which started with Notre Dame. But the last three was all arenas, and all I do now is a lot that I can't talk about. But mostly, I take care of guard security, and uh, I get him where he's going, and, and I just make sure he's good. So I love so, it. Yeah, my days on the stage. Uh, Ended back in '97 as far as the big arena. Now he did let me open up one show uh, last tour in Lubbock for four nights, and I had a blast because like the old times, you know, it was fun. Do you bring? Uh, but no, he's got a lot. He's got a lot better people than me that open shows these days. You like better Chris stop that. She's pretty good. You better stop <laughs> that. Now. Oh, who's who's out with him right now? Who's? Well, we don't we don't have a, a, an announcement for an opening act because we don't even know when this next one starts. He has announced two cities. Right. That he, that, that uh, I think St. Louis and Arizona, and there's going to be five cities announced before Christmas. But the the big stadium tour really kicks off next year, and I'm not sure the month, but wow. I would assume warm weather. So we'll see. Well, I'm going to have to come. I'm going to come visit Luke, my wife, and I, Gwen, and we're going to we'll come spend some time together in the winter. You're going to so I want to make sure you're there. I'm going to I'm going to tell Luke that uh, that I'm not coming unless you you guys are back. <laughs> Well, I, I should be there, and I would love—I would love to see you. But you know, I want to say, Mississippi is such a special place. So, everybody that wants to kind of go check out your music, uh, your books—I mean, do you do you go to BrianKennedy.com? How do you get there? 
it's uh, it's really easy. We spent millions of dollars, and of course, I'm kidding. On the, on the website <laughs> name, the think tank was big, and uh, we came up with Brian'sWebsite.com. So it's Brian's website. Brian's website. Brian's B R Y A N S website dot com. That's it. That's and then I also nice. do a little thing that's really cool, and I'll, I'll say it really quick. It's called the Chalk Talk Blog dot com, and it's kind of my. I have a podcast where it's really related around parents and sports and, and, and that kind of thing. So check that out, too. Thechalktalk.com, and that's your blog. Yeah, chalktalkblog.com. Oh, you got it, brother. Can't wait to hang blessings uh, and uh, be safe out on the road. We've been with Brian Kennedy, and uh, you've been in a Mississippi Minute. We're out. I'm Steve Azar. In a Mississippi Minute, all 60 of them, where you can take your sweet time. If Alexa's part of your life, you've got one more way to access Super Talk. Super Talk Mississippi is now available on Amazon Alexa devices. Once enabled, just say Alexa Play Super Talk Mississippi at any time and start listening. It's that easy. Just one more way to stay informed and connected with your state. Learn more at supertalk.fm slash Alexa. Super Talk Mississippi. Super Talk Mississippi. Now available on Amazon Alexa devices. Super Talk Mississippi Media Production.